I do not accept human testimony, but I say this so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and for a while you were content to rejoice in his light. But I have testimony greater than John's. The works that the Father gave me to accomplish, these works that I perform, testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. Moreover, the Father who sent me has testified on my behalf. But you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, and you do not have his word remaining in you, because you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life through them. Even they testify on my behalf. But you do not want to come to me to have life. I do not accept human praise. Moreover, I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I came in the name of my Father, but you do not accept me. Yet if another comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe when you accept praise from one another and do not seek the praise that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who will accuse you is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. We are uh, in the last two weeks of Lent, uh, and as we do every Lent for daily mass, we have entered the book of John, which we did on Monday, and so we'll, we'll read from John as we finish out these two weeks. Uh, the book of John is uh, described as the book of signs, and the book of John was written uh, years later after the other Gospels, and it really is about realizing all of the signs that occurred, and it's a revealing of the Father. And we really get that sense in our reading today. Uh, John is using uh, these chapters to show us really plainly that Jesus was sent, and he was sent to reveal the Father. And so that's what we'll do over these next two weeks. It's uh, interesting, uh, at the end of this, so Jesus says, Moses uh, spoke all about me. And so that causes you to go back and say, well, where was it that Moses was talking about Jesus? And so there's many signs that we could see um, in Moses' writings. Uh, He had said he would raise up a prophet, and Jesus was always saying he was was also a prophet. Um, We have the... Uh, raising up of the serpent, which healed the Israelites in the desert. And Jesus said, you know, I have to be raised up as well. Um, There's the manna uh, that the Israelites uh, lived off of. And Jesus constantly said, I'm the bread of life. And I think one of the best ones is uh, the most obvious is that Jesus said he was this eternal spring of living water. Well, there was a rock that was uh, produced water for the Israelites to drink from, which kept them alive. And 
that becomes really apparent uh, in uh, St. Paul's writings. He wrote a letter to the Corinthians. So in the first letter of the Corinthians, in uh, chapter 10, verse 4, it says that the Israelites drank from the rock that followed them, and that was Christ. It, was, it could not be no clear, uh, uh, you couldn't see anything more obvious. That was Christ. The rock, the water was Christ. So it was obvious, and Paul brings that out. So that's the writings of Moses. So when we start thinking about this idea of really Christ being there before we really knew about him, before the incarnation. Um, so I put out these uh, text messages uh, in the morning, and so I run across quotes and things that people have said, and I ran across uh, an interest, interesting one by a 19th century uh, Catholic writer. And the quote was, God is always previous. He's always previous. It's obvious in the creation, God existed before he created this world. But he takes it any ever further. He says, God is always previous. You know, we think we pray for God's help. You know, help me, I've got a problem. He was already here. He was there when he knew you were going to need him. He's always previous. Well, if you do a little bit of searching on this concept of God being previous, there's actually a grace that, of course, we go back to uh, Augustine or Aquinas, and they were very good about trying to explain grace. And so they had a specific name for a grace, and they called it um, prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. This is the grace that occurs before the effect that's going to happen. So he's with us before we need it. He's helping us through our free will. He's helping us before. Well, I was thinking of this concept of, you know, how do you get helped before you need it? And so um, the example that came to me was uh, out of 45 years of being married, I wouldn't say that I've had a lot of success in buying good presents for my wife. Um, not very good at it. but. Um, when I have been successful, and I look back now, um, my wife had a, uh, an ability to dog-ear uh, certain pages in catalogs of things that she would appreciate. She never said, these are the things that I want, but somehow that grace that happened before I needed to buy a present, there was this little suggestion for me. So I, I think back on this uh, particular grace that comes before we really need it. Um, we're also going to hear about this grace on December 8th with the Immaculate Conception. Uh, the priest will pray over uh, the gifts and he'll say, um, so Mary through uh, would be untouched by any stain of sin so that through the, her intercession and by this prevenient grace she may be delivered as an intercessor 
Now that's interesting because in our first reading, Moses is an intercessor for us. And when we think about, did God really change his mind? When we think about the grace of God always being previous, he's always there before, he really has helped Moses become the intercessor that he was always meant to be. He was very tentative when he first took over the role of helping lead the Israelites, but yet now he's become the one defending and trying to persuade. Well, God never changes his mind, we know that. And so what really happened? Moses stands up. He's been given the grace to really now believe what he's saying. And he's the champion for the people. Well, as we look more about this definition of how this grace works, uh, Aquinas listed five effects that this uh, grace has on us. And the first effect is healing of the soul, but let's also say it's recognizing that we're missing something better. The second is the desire of the good. The third is we work for the good. The fourth is we persevere in the good. And the final step is we reach glory. So I was thinking that this grace that's there before we really need it, it really fits well with Lent. We have six weeks of Lent, and that first week we were, you know, we give up something. Why? Because we want something better. We want a better relationship with Jesus. And so we give up something. And that second week we start to get a desire for what we're going to get. Yes, we're giving up something, but we, we're desiring a better relationship. And then we work through that. And so we're in that third week. And I really look at the weeks that we're in right now is the persevere. We're persevering for these next two weeks as we finally reach in Holy Week the attainment of glory. We reach Easter. That's the final week. We're into attaining glory and and realizing a deeper relationship every Easter that we get by reaching that glory. So as you continue to persevere through Lent, you're going to be seeing more signs, and those signs though we've accepted Jesus, they're to help us go deeper and stronger so that by the time we reach Easter, we're achieving a deeper glory than we've had before. My brothers and sisters, let us now stand and offer our prayers to God who's always with us.